Heavenly Father, please speak to us this morning. May your voice pierce our hearts, our minds, cause us to look to Jesus and cause us to live in light of your goodness in him. We pray these things in the name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, at the end of uh, 2012, uh, I went on a trip to Japan. It was my second time in Japan, but the first time on my own. And I distinctly remember getting out of the airport at, in Osaka at night, uh, taking a train to the station that was near my accommodation, walking out of the train uh, into the train station uh, with no internet, with just a screenshot of where my accommodation was, uh, looking at the train station map in Japanese, which I could not understand a word or where I was exactly. And I looked, had no internet, and I was thinking, where am I? Where am I supposed to go? What if I go the wrong way and get lost all this distance away from home? And it's at that point I felt lost, alone, far from home, a stranger in a foreign land. Well, as we start our time in First Peter, this letter, this is what the recipients of the letter felt like. They were minority Christians in a pagan world under Roman rule. And the first readers, they were feeling it, feeling alone, feeling far from home, strangers in a foreign land. And because of this, it was easy for them to forget who they are and where they belong. And this writing, this letter from Peter, addresses this situation and feeling, challenging, comforting, and encouraging these followers of Jesus to keep living for him. As we kick off this series today, we're going to be looking through this letter over the coming term. Uh, it's good for us to just explore a bit of the context around this writing, First Peter, to get our bearings straight. First is the style of writing. We've already mentioned uh, it's not a historical document, a narrative like Nehemiah. It's a letter like the many other New Testament letters we have. Next, the author. Uh, we learn from verse 1, chapter 1, it's Peter. It's the apostle of Jesus, Peter, the one who was a fisherman who became a disciple, the one who was very close to Jesus all through his ministry. Next, we think about the date when this writing was written. It's most likely around early 60s AD. Uh, Peter, he's in Rome. Uh, the empire-wide persecution of Christians uh, under Nero hadn't started yet, uh, but some localised angst and persecution against Christians had begun. And finally, the recipients, again from verse 1. Uh, we have a list of five provinces or regions, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Uh, all of them, if you look at this map, they're all on the northwest of what they used to call Asia Minor. 
Uh, basically, that whole area is modern-day Turkey, and it's a huge region. And this region was regarded as the backwaters, the fringes of the Roman Empire at the time. And this letter that Peter wrote, it's most likely a circular letter, meaning that it was a generic open letter that traveled to all the local churches around uh, these backwater regions. And before we get stuck into today's passage, what's the significance of First Peter for us today? Why should we pay attention to this part of God's word? Well, just like the first readers of this letter, we, like them, we are minority Christians in a pagan and secular world. It's easy for us, just like them, to forget who we truly are and forget where we belong to as God's people, people saved by the blood of Jesus on the cross, people looking forward to life forever with God in the new creation. So this letter of 1 Peter, it speaks powerfully into our, me and you, living for Jesus today. If you talk to an international who's visiting Australia, whether for study or for work, or maybe you are one of those internationals, they usually enjoy the first few weeks. It's a new city, a new adventure, but after the excitement wears off, guess what kicks in? It's homesickness. You see, they begin to remember and miss everything about their home. They miss the food, they miss their bed, they miss their families, they even miss the weather, or the smell of the air, or the busyness or quietness of their hometown. They miss the familiarities of home. And as Peter begins this letter, I think this is the image and feeling that he wants his readers to have. Verse 1 starts off, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Peter introduces himself, and then he addresses his readers, and he could have said to the believers, to the uh, holy people of God, to the churches in these areas to the followers of Jesus in these places, but he deliberately calls them a certain term. He uses this word exiles, sojourners, aliens, foreigners, temporary travelers, strangers in a foreign land, people away from home. And Peter's audience, they were exiles in a social sense. You see, they were in the provinces, in the forgotten fringes of the Roman Empire. They were pushed to the fringes of society. These regions had no Roman citizenship. So in a sense, they were uh, social or political exiles. But even more so, Paul, Peter deliberately calls them exiles in a spiritual sense, reminding them of their spiritual condition. Followers of Jesus, 
away from and missing their true home of heaven, sojourning or temporarily traveling in this world. So the believers were exiles, but that's not all because Peter calls them elect exiles. Elect being chosen by God, special to him, privilege not forgotten, but picked out by God for salvation in Jesus. The idea of believers being elect can be a troublesome topic for some. But this word appears 22 times in the New Testament, and 17 of those 22 times is about believers as God's elect people chosen by God for salvation. So we get this term for believers here, elect exiles. And it sounds like a contradiction. Exiles are the rejected ones, and elect are the selected ones. And Peter, he's actually playing on this tension, because there's no contradiction here because believers are rejected by the world because they've been elected by God. One commentator summarized their situation well. They're currently in exile, socially marginalized, on the fringes of society, exposed to hostile powers. Yet they are God's chosen ones and destined for eternal and heavenly glory. You see, Peter, he says to his audience, remember who you are. You are God's elect exiles. And he goes on to remind you that if they are indeed God's elect exiles, belonging to God, even though they're in a strange and foreign world, that God, the triune God, is intimately at work in them that God hasn't left them alone in this foreign world, but he's working deeply, personally, in his elect exiles. Verse 2 continues, According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. See, the word Trinity that we use today, it never pops up in the Bible, but it's clear that God is a triune God, not three gods, or one God with three different masks, but one God with three persons of the Godhead in action. And here we see this, we see the Father's involvement in his foreknowledge, electing or choosing them to be saved. Here we see the Spirit's involvement sanctification or being holied, the process of holiness from coming to Jesus to maturity in Jesus. It's all the Spirit's work. And here we see the Son's involvement. It's the goal of the Father's and Spirit's work. It's true obedience to Jesus, full allegiance to Jesus, or using the strange term, for the sprinkling with his blood. It's a ritual used to confirm a binding agreement or a contract or a covenant to use Old Testament words. Exodus 24 as a reference to this rite or act. Here it's about covenanting or I think union 
being united to Jesus. You see, right from the outset of this letter, in these first two verses, Peter, he's already making a point. He's saying, remember who you are. Remember who you are. You are God's elect exiles. And God hasn't forgotten about you. He's working. The Father's chosen you. The Spirit's making you holy. And all of this results in obedience to Jesus. And as we think about this for us today, just like the international student in Brisbane, just like the readers of Peter's letter, we are likewise as God's people are to feel homesick too. We are God's elect exiles, belonging to God, saved in Jesus, missing, longing, waiting for our heavenly home in eternity. You see, today God wants us to remember who we are. Exiles, foreigners, sojourners, Aliens, travelers, temporarily here, but belonging to somewhere else. But we're more than exiles. We're God's elect exiles. You see, this is our core identity. This is who we are. And God has been and still is at work in us, chosen by the Father, being made holy by the Spirit, resulting in our full obedience to Jesus. Maybe instead of that homesick feeling, you've grown acclimatized to the world around us. It's so easy to forget your true identity, where you belong, where your home is, so much that you've settled in this world. You're comfortable with our surrounds, the world and its values, that you've maybe even confused where and what home is like. Well, God wants you, he wants us to remember who you are, to remind you this morning, to give you that reality check, to show you your spiritual passport and citizenship papers showing who you are and where you belong. You see, we are God's elect exiles, sojourners on this earth, belonging to a heavenly home. Well, as we keep going in this passage, uh, to continue my travelings about Japan, uh, we all know how easy it is to spot a foreigner. They do things differently. They stand out. And this is what a foreigner looks like in Japan. And I know because I transgress all of these things. People will talk to you in Japanese, but you can't respond. You smile and you say something like, speak English. You talk to people, you offend or disrespect them even though you don't know it because you just don't know their hierarchy, their customs, how to talk to people in a certain way to show them respect or to receive respect. You're in a train and you talk loudly and everyone glares at you because it's not culturally appropriate like it is here. 
you're walking the city streets and you eat something while you're walking and again, people glare at you because it's not what they do, it's not culturally appropriate. You go up to the food ordering machines uh, in front of restaurants and you don't know what to do, you don't know how to order, you don't even know what the little uh, buttons say, which is what, if you're ordering a spicy or vegan or something else, and you've never even used one of those food ordering machines before. It's all different. You see, doing things in Japan or in any other foreign country, it makes you stand out like a sore thumb. Foreigners always stand out when visiting other countries. And you know, this is what God's people had to look like as we live our identities as elect exiles. And this is where Peter goes to next. Verse 3 starts like this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It sounds very familiar to us, but I think this would have been very jarring for the first readers. Remember, they felt like exiles. And as we keep going in this letter, these believers in Asia Minor, they were doing it pretty tough. Trials, chapter 1, verse 6, being slandered by unbelievers, chapter 2, verse 12, suffering unjustly, chapter 2, verse 19, and having endured what they call a fiery trial, chapter 4, verse 12. Yet Peter, he's got this audacity to say to them, bless God, praise God. And you know, it's because of their identity as elect exiles that Peter can praise or bless God like this. Because as we keep going in this one huge sentence uh, from verse 3 to 12, uh, Peter gives three big ways that this downtrodden group are to stand out as exiles, as elect exiles in this world and ultimately can praise or bless God. And the first big way elect exiles stand out is this. God's people are a people of hope. Verse 3 continues. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, God has shown us his great mercy to his elect exiles. The readers and us today, we on our own were dead in our sin. But God in his mercy has changed everything, causing us to be born again into new life, to a hope that's living and active and at work in us. And here this hope, uh, this word isn't about a wishful dream. It's an unshakable and assured confidence of the future. And this sure hope, we can be confident because Jesus has risen from the dead. He rose, meaning that his death really did pay for our sins, meaning that sin and death are really, truly, completely defeated in the cross of Jesus, which is what we celebrated in communion just before. See, God's elect exiles are a people of hope. 
We're born again. We're sure of life, and it's all certain because Jesus has died and rose again. And this is how we ought to stand out as exiles in this world, as people of hope. And verse 4 keeps going. It doubles down on this living hope. He continues to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. You see, this hope we have of eternal life in Jesus is like an inheritance, something that we possess now, but will be fully realized in the future. And it's an, it's an assured inheritance. It's certain. There's no ambiguities, no messy legal battles, no last-minute changes. Read how Peter describes it here. It's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in the most secure and incorruptible place, heaven itself. And it's guarded by the strongest power, God's power himself. This living hope we have is guarded and kept and assured until that last day of salvation and judgment when that hope will be finally fully realized and we will be where we belong in our heavenly home. You see, Peter reminds his readers and us that we are people of hope. God's people are a people of hope. And this is why we can praise God. And this is how we're to stand out as elect exiles in this world. As we keep going, the second big way we're to stand out in this world is that elect exiles are people of joy. Verse 6 starts like this. In this you rejoice. It's because we have this assured hope of eternal life in Jesus that followers of Jesus are to be a people marked by joy. And it's a deep-seated joy because it's not dependent on the highs and lows of life or the highs and lows of your heart or the highs and lows of this world. It's joy because God has saved us from death to life in Jesus. And Peter applies this deep-seated joy into the reader's situation as he keeps going. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ." I used to read this verse as a kid, and I used to think it says that trials are like a test to prove who are the genuine Christians. And while there is some truth to this, I think Peter in God's word is trying to say here that there's going to be trials, but these trials are here to let your faith in Jesus shine. It's going to show that your faith in Jesus is genuine and authentic, and a genuine, purified, refined, authentic faith in Jesus 
Isn't that what we want as God's people? It's valuable, more precious than gold. And this is going to result in praise and glory and honor. Definitely to Jesus. But I think it's praise and glory and honor to us and our genuine faith when Jesus is revealed on the last day. You see, as we go through trials joyfully holding on to Jesus and we get to that last day, Jesus, God's going to say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. You endured and your faith in Jesus is true. Verse 8 keeps going. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter affirms the readers living for Jesus to encourage them to keep going. You see, they'd never met Jesus, but they love him. They don't see him now, but they're believing and enduring and rejoicing even through suffering. They're standing out as they should. And it's this sort of living that will lead to future salvation. Joyful living. Joy inexpressible. Rejoicing even through trials because of God's mercy to us in Jesus. You see, God's elect exiles stand out as people of joy, and joyful suffering gives glory to Jesus, and joyful suffering leads to the future of salvation and life in eternity. Well, as we come to our last section, the third big way we're to stand out in this world is that elect exiles are a people of privilege. You know, I took it for granted how privileged I was to be an Australian citizen until quite recently. I was chatting with our partner missionary CP uh, the other day uh, because he's going through some of those visa uh, problems before. And talking to him, I found out that I always took it for granted that I could fly in and out of Australia without a problem, that I could use Medicare, no questions asked, that I would qualify for Centrelink help that took me all through high school and uni and even through a bit of work, that I could get subsidised fees for uni courses, that I could get HEX help, which gets us through university and postgrad and more. It's a privilege to be an Australian citizen, but it's easy to take this for granted. And yet we as God's people are a people of privilege, all the more privilege. You see, we know and have God's salvation in Jesus. We experience its fullness. We benefit day by day, moment by moment from the riches of Christ made known to us. But it's easy to take this for granted, isn't it? To forget, to take it lightly, that we are a people of privilege. P. 
Peter continues in verse 10. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what personal time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. You see, Peter tells the readers to remember how privileged they are to be a people who've receive the good news of life in Jesus, to receive God's mercy and being saved from death to life in Jesus. You see, this working of God's salvation in Jesus as the promised Messiah, the prophets of old look forward to this. Even the angels look into this from outside because angels don't experience salvation in Jesus like we do. But we, God's people, God's elect exiles, Peter's readers, and us today, we're recipients of the full and complete work of God's salvation. Jesus, his death and resurrection. You see, we actually get to experience it. Grace through faith in Jesus, being united with Jesus, covenanting with Jesus, Christ in us by his spirit. We are a people of privilege. And Peter's audience and us, we should never take this for granted. This is to mark how we live as God's people today. You see, Peter, he writes this letter and this passage for his readers and us, not necessarily looking for behavioral change yet, but today's passage really is a powerful reminder and encouragement of who we are and what our identity is as God's elect exiles. And just as travelers in a foreign world would stand out like a sore thumb, Peter encourages people of Jesus to stand out as elect exiles. For God's people to stand out not as people of hopelessness, but as people of hope. People filled with certain expectation and being assured of life forever. Not as people of misery, but people of joy, rejoicing in the certainty of God's mercy and letting their faith in Jesus shine even amidst suffering. Not as forgotten people or people of insignificance, but people of privilege knowing that we are recipients of the good news of life in Jesus. You see, we may be like exiles, a minority, on the fringe. We may be downtrodden. We may even be persecuted. We may even have adopted these feelings of hopelessness, misery, 
and insignificance. But God wants us to remember how good it is to be his elect exiles. We are people of hope. We are people of joy. And we are people of privilege. We are all people who've been radically changed because of the mercy of God in the death and resurrection of Jesus at work in us. And that's why we too can join in Peter's refrain, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God. God is good and we know this in Jesus. We are people of hope, people of joy, and people of privilege in Christ. So as we finish our time this morning, as we start this series in First Peter today, it's worth reflecting as we finish off. Do you see yourself as an elect exile, chosen by God, belonging not here but to a heavenly home? Do you see yourself as an elect exile? And secondly, do you stand out as God's elect exile, a person of hope, a person of joy, a person of privilege? Is it clear to the world around us that you're a foreigner waiting for your heavenly home? It's so good to be God's elect exiles. Let us praise God and let us continue to live in light of his mercy in Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we're reminded as we start First Peter that we are your elect exiles, temporary travelers in this world awaiting our heavenly home. We know that this is only possible in your mercy because you saved us in Jesus and gave us the certain hope of a future in eternity in him. Father, stir our hearts, remind us powerfully to know that we are elect exiles of you. And Father, help us to live it out, to stand out clearly as your elect exiles as we sojourn in this world. Father, help this to be so evident that people would see how good it is to be people of hope, joy, and privilege because of your son, Jesus. And we pray that all of this would ultimately bless and praise you, our great God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.